Welcome to Feeling Asian, a podcast where two Asians talk about their feelings. I'm Young Me Mayor. And I'm Brian Park. We're recording on Christmas Eve. Um, I'm in a festive mood. Do you see my tree behind me? If you're watching on YouTube, I have an eggnog. <laughs> and I am coming at you live from my parents' place. And I, there's no decorations in my room. I look like I am in a hospital. <laughs> I'm going to have diarrhea. This is like c full cream uh, eggnog. It's not even like coconut milk eggnog or whatever. Wow. That sounds so foul. And it's not good. I'm not going to. I don't know why I did this. <laughs> I was trying to think of something funny to say, but that's all the best I could come up with is that sounds foul. The truth, which is it's weird. Why am I drinking it? I don't know. <laughs> This is our last hurts. podcast of 2021, Young Lee. I know. And for, and you know, we thought we'd make it special. We've never done this before. We're doing a uh, annual roundup of our favorite clips from the last year. Let's take a, what's that called? Let's take a, a trip stroll. down memory lane. A stroll, a stroll down, down memory lane. Memory lane. <laughs> and reflect on some of our favorite moments on this podcast. Um, from the last year. <laughs> a horrible horrible year 2021 but i have to say i'm really proud of us you know today brian by the time this comes out the listeners will have seen we today it came out on cnn we are one of the um top pod i don't know top podcast discussing race or something it came out today did you know that yeah it's caked into how I'm feeling today, but oh, okay. we were named one of the podcasts that answered this year's biggest questions, and that's a high honor. There were a lot of questions this year. There was a lot of questions, and you know, we wanted to... I'm actually really glad that that came out, because like, a lot of the clips that we discussed today are going to be those sort of clips, but <laughs> before I embarrass myself, let's do the Patreon shoutouts, because I don't know what I'm doing, and then we can get to the episode let's do it okay so listeners thank you for your continued support throughout this past year but for those of you who are still wondering if there's other ways you could support us you can do so on patreon at patreon.com slash feeling asian uh any donation amount goes a long way for the production of this podcast check it out we offer different subscription tiers but any donation amount gets you a shout out on the podcast and let's jump right into them young me are you ready yeah. For our last Patreon shout-out roundup of 2021, Woo. our first shout-out goes out to Tian Win. This, this to me, I feel like this person has like a startup, like an app person vibe. Yes. Right? Uh, yeah. Very lawful, very smart, very rich. Wh what do you think the app is? I think it's like a fitness app. That's the vibe I'm getting. Oh. Fitness app. I was thinking... They use their intellect uh, in tech for actual good. It's like a startup that helps underserved communities uh, become more active in With local fitness. politics. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you meant like underserved communities and we uh, distribute yoga mats and <laughs> two-pound yes, weights. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, anyway, Tien, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your donation. Next shout out goes out to Charles Rowe. Uh, Charles, first of all, do you think this person goes by Charles or like one of the Chucky or Chuck or C CJ or something like that? Do you I've think they just go met, Charles? I think Charles. Have you ever met an Asian Chuck? I haven't met a Chuck since 1973. So, <laughs> no. Chuck. Chuck Rowe. Ah, Chuck Rowe. That's a good TV personality name. Damn, I think it's time to bring back the Chuck. Yeah. I kind of feel like this person goes by Chuck. Does Chuck secretly work for E! Entertainment and he's the guy on the red carpet? What's going on, y'all? It's Chuck Rowe here on the red carpet of the Nickelodeon 2021 Children's Choice Awards. That's, that's so believable. <laughs> okay, I changed my answer. It's Chuck Rowe, 100%. And, he, and they work in entertainment. They work in entertainment. Chuck, thank you for your donation. Our next shout out goes out to Margo. Just Margo. Margo. Oh my God. Margo is a. Uh, aloof yeah. hot girl vibes. Yeah. That's, yeah. Margo, you can't be. 
You can't not be hot with the name Margot. That's for sure. Very indie. Artsy. Yeah, indie, artsy. artsy perpetually in college. Doesn't matter if she's 47. She's still in <laughs> art school. <laughs> and your leather jacket looks so good. Yeah. Margot, thank you. Next shout out goes out to Melody Wang. I love Melody. Melody, the name is so solid. <sighs> what did I think? But I feel like this person has like a very close-knit family unit. That's the vibe I'm getting. <laughs> really gets along with her sister. Okay. Ah, I see that. I see that. What does Melody do? Melody is a lampshade designer. Okay. There we go. <laughs> We're back. Yeah. We're back. <laughs> All <laughs> right. is a lampshade designer. <laughs> I believe uh, um, that, yeah. Yeah, so Melody, uh, give a hug to your close-knit family for us, and thank you for happy supporting holidays. the pod. <laughs> and happy holidays. Our last shout-out for 2021 goes out to Kuan Chen. Kuan Chen. Um, I'm going to go the lampshade route. I think this person is a curtain specialist. They specialize <laughs> in installing very high-end curtains for like in the homes of wealthy people and they mm. charge like uh they charge like a hundred thousand dollars for you know like one one room for the inst- mm. perfect installation of curtains yeah the world's I'm best see- i'm seeing that world's best curtain specialist therefore person. extremely rich however yeah. kwan has incredibly good taste so we're like, yeah, maybe something super rich and fancy that we've never heard of. You know how there's like fla- floral arranger people and they charge like $100,000 per floral arrangement because they're like fourth generation. No, I didn't Japanese even know that flor- existed. That's how yeah. out of that's how far removed I am from this world. It's like, it's like a rich person thing. They have all these like specialties and they charge a lot of money for it. And it's like this. If you're rich, you would never know, you know, I mean, if you weren't rich. Right. So they are yeah. arranging they're arranging flowers at charity galas and yeah. like tributes for their great great grandfather who was one of the first settlers in America. Yeah, they're charging like a million dollars a wedding for their floral arrangements. <laughs> oh my you know? God. This is this person. That's Can we nice. just That's do that nice. instead? What if we just bullshitted? What if I was like, yeah, I'm the world's most famous floral. Like, I could just show up looking like this and people would be like, yeah, that person looks like. Yeah, I would believe it. If you showed up looking just your normal self. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, let's pack it up, folks. The podcast is done. Young is now going to become a floral arranger for incredibly rich people. I need money. It was a nice ride. (laughs) 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 Well, once again, thank you everyone for your continued support of the podcast. It really means a lot. And uh, yeah, let's uh, let's move on from the from the corporate sellout Patreon vibes and jump into this recap episode, Young Me. The meat of our podcast. Well, before we do the clips, Brian, how are you feeling? The last episode of the year, Brian Park. I feel really happy and really fucking proud of us. And uh yeah, that's it. I'm feeling really, really happy and really proud because, you know, Young Me, you mentioned earlier on this episode that our podcast was uh, spotlighted by CNN um, on some like year end list of po- best podcast roundup, whatever. But uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. It, it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's incredibly validating, but I'm also really proud of us because of that list of 10 podcasts, we are the only independent podcast on there. Wow. Look at yeah. us. Yeah. And you know, wow. It's uh we've gotten into a lot of disagreements, ups and downs this past year between us mm-hmm. as creative partners. But um yeah, it's it's really uh it's a really awesome feeling to uh to be recognized for all of the hard work because we we work really hard on this. Like Yeah. And um and and it's especially I'm especially proud of us because, you know, it's just the two of us, and we, you know, it's now being recognized by fucking CNN of all places. That's it's nuts. You know, we don't have any like we we obviously have like a t- like I got a fantastic team who helps us uh, realize this podcast, but yeah, you know, it's not like we have the backing of like Spotify or Gimlet Media, like yeah. 
We're doing it through. It's a very. It, this is true DIY collaborative spirit to me. Like you know, to the listeners who donate to our Patreon, thank you so much because it really helps us grow our team and reinvest into this podcast because we, you know, I love doing it. And I just, I just want to take a moment to, uh, to reflect on this past year and just to relish like all the hard work that we put into this podcast. So I'm really happy and really proud of us. You know, I'm really glad you brought up the independent thing, Brian, because it is pretty, you know, like we're both of us are like, this is so much work. What are we doing? But we, we are getting it done. (laughs) And it, it is kind of shocking that we are doing this thing on our own that other people have like full blown corporations helping them with. Do you right. know what I mean? And right. but I just also I just want to shout out our small team um, that helps us. Yes. Oliver Cho, who is our new sound engineer, um, you're hearing their work right now. Thank you, Oliver. Yes. Thank um, you. Our, thank you, and our wonderful um, video editor, video editor Alex Chan. Um, also, if you're watching on YouTube, you're seeing their work <laughs> and, and, and I guess out, that's it. Oh, special shout out goes out to Chloe, our flyer decorator, desi- our, our, in-house, our in-house, in-house design graphic team. designer and, uh, <laughs> a special shout out goes out to Juan Aranda, Juan Aranda for the new album cover design. The album cover. Beautiful. And June, June, who did the photo shoot? Yes, yes. And Emmanuel, who did the old photo shoot, all of these people are, (laughs) you know, we're, and we try very hard to compensate everyone fairly, but, you know, along the way, people have really helped us out. Um, And also, shout out goes out to our OG sound engineer, Sarah Pak. Sarah, oh my God, helped us out so much. Huge shout out to her. We didn't even know what a sound engineer was until she She was like, this sounds like shit. Can I help you? So yeah, I want to help. I want to thank all these people. You know, a lot of people just literally like Sarah just jumped in and helped us along the way when we didn't even know what we were doing. So yeah. shout out to all of them. Thank you. And that encapsulates how I feel. Last how I'm feeling for 2021. How about you, Young Me? How are you feeling? I feel like your feeling Asian today was so appropriate for the episode. Mine is, I had like this huge fight with my mom, Brian. Also very appropriate for me. Also and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end this year. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for listening. But you know, you we all know why you're here. You want to hear the chaos. I had the hugest meltdown with my mom, and I just want to like this is what I decided what was happening, and I just want to point it out really quick because I know, oh, no. like a lot, a lot of people go through weird emotional stuff during the holidays, and I think last year I talked about how my mom has this tendency to ruin big holidays for me, and so. Yep. Around the holidays, I get very nervous around receiving gifts because, mm. like, just to uh, talk about what I talked about, I think maybe it was even two years ago, my mom would give me a gift and then punish me because she felt like she would overspend because my dad would force her to. And then I would open the gifts. I'd be really excited. And then she'd be like, you know, because of you, I had to borrow money from my friends and it was really embarrassing. And then I would get punished. And so uh, as an adult, that came out as me not being able to receive gifts. Like if anyone gives me a gift, I get very like cagey and uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And um, and so then what happened this year, my mom was like, so I sent you, she was like, I sent you a box of like things for me now. And then I was like, I got a message and I said, your box is I got oh I got no message no slip and my mom said she got a text saying the box was delivered and I was like well not only is it not here there's no slip uh there's no like information and then mm. I like I like uh messaged with the tracking number and they were like we will get back to you and then I never heard back and I was like mom mm. this is really weird I don't know what's going on with this box and she like freaked out and she was like well I put money in there and what am I gonna do like and just getting very over like emotional Mm -hmm. and then i started i don't know i had the most emotional response where i literally just broke down and i was just like i was just like mom like i can't i can't spend the emotional energy soothing you right now like Mm -hmm. you're oh you're like freaking out you're crying you're sad i was like i never asked you for anything you've never given me any she's never really sent me anything Mm -hmm. and i was just like 
I never, this is why I never ask you for anything because it doesn't, because it's not a gift. It's like, it ends up being me like having to get yelled at issues and like soothing you, you know what I mean? And emotionally mm. supporting you because you're so upset. And I was just like, I don't want to, I don't, I was like, I'm so tired right now. I don't care about the box. Like I will send you money, like whatever money you lost, I will mm. send it to you. But I just don't have the emotional capacity to deal with you. So I said that and I said, don't talk to me. Don't like get on the phone and cry and, you know, make this about you like freaking out. I just I, I don't have the energy to spend on that. I was like, just I'm going to put money in your account. Whatever money you lost, I will put it in oh, there. Wow. Just don't ever talk to me. And oh, so then wow. I, I, I freaked out to a thousand. And then my mom was like, she was like, OK, calm down, relax. Like she, that's how she responded right and and i was like oh my god did i just out crazy the crazy oh my god young <laughs> like, I, like i came in hot i was like stop like ah and then she was like okay never mind uh i'm fine <laughs> so yeah. i was like oh my god i, I feel like i out crazy the holy crazy holy cow young me jeez even hearing and that story i was day- like whoa god i mean to me it sounds like obviously you have a very complicated dynamic with your mom as you yeah uh recounted on this podcast but that it sounds like that was that reaction was just a build-up of pent-up emotion or energy that was there because well yeah like for sure you know if you when you send something someone money you obviously want it to get delivered like i would be worried too if i sent a package to someone and said it was delivered i'm like damn i sent money in there fuck but you know, so here's the thing. Okay, I know I probably sound really horrible, but the backstory is that my entire life has been my mom being extremely emotional and yeah. me having to soothe her, right? Right, right. Which is, it's it's okay now that I'm 37 and she's 60, that she's emotionally frail. But sure. this was happening when I was like five years old. Like my mom yeah, yeah, would have yeah. an emotional breakdown in public and I would have to be like, it's okay, everything's okay. And what that led me to becoming is like in every situation, I'm like, before I can think about my emotions, I think about everyone else. Like if something bad happens, mm-hmm. you know, let's say I get in a car accident, like my instinct is to be like, oh, is everyone okay? Before even like thinking, oh my God, my legs are broken or whatever. I'm like, right. is everyone else okay? And then later yeah, yeah, I'll yeah. be like, oh my God, my legs are broken. You know what I mean? Oh, I and totally so I th- get it too. Yeah. So I think as an adult, I, I, I'm like, I can't do it anymore. You know, right, like, and especially with things like packages in New York, yeah. For whatever reason, they get sometimes they get stolen or they get delivered to the wrong apartment. Yeah, these are things that are completely out of your control. You know, but if you're the person sending yeah. it, you want to, as the person who's receiving it, you're going to take the blame because it's just right. It's important, and you want you want a yeah. reason, like a actual concrete reason for why this important thing did not get delivered you know so this is the thing in my head the actual situation i'm okay with i'm like okay a box gets lost or stolen that's fine i'll deal with that it's sad we lost christmas gifts for my son but like the unbearable part for me was the idea that my mom was gonna cry and i would have Mm. to like come in and like and put my feelings aside you know, and mm. I, I have feelings too. Like I was like, dude, you never send my son anything, your grandchild. Mm. He can't even like trust you or depend on you. And I feel like you've let both of us down. And like, those are like hard emotions that I feel, but yeah. I can't even like say I'm so let down by you, mom. Cause I have to sit there and like hold her hand through her crying, you know? Mm. So that's why I was like, I can't do this. Yeah. Don't push, put anything on me. Anyway, the end of the story is that the fucking box came the next day. Nice. So I, <laughs> that's the end of the story. And then I was like, "Mom, the box is here. Don't don't talk to me." Wow. But so that's it's a Christmas miracle. Perhaps the best outcome. You expressed how you felt, and the package got there okay. It's fine, but I think you know I'm I'm glad that I I stopped her because I was like we have to stop this dynamic. Like, I'm not here to be your mom. You weren't there for me when I was a kid to emotionally support me. And so I have resentment. So Mm. it's weird because like a lot of things I was saying to her during our fight, I was like, oh, this is like what you would say to me when I was a kid, you know? Right. Like if I was crying, I'd be like, stop, stop, stop being so fucking sad. Like things like that. I was saying that to her because I was like, I, 
I'm like giving you, Whoa. I'm like, it's switched now. Cause like when I was a kid, well, you weren't doing this for me. So now I don't want to do it for you kind of thing, which sounds, I know it sounds really cruel and I, I know people are judging me right now, but you know, what am I going to uh, do? Damn. That's uh, I mean, it is reflective of how parent child dynamics switch yeah. with age. I, I mean, I'm sure it happens across many cultures, but even in Asian, especially in Asian cultures, like yeah. the, the expectation is for when our parents get old and weak, then you assume the more parental figure position. And it's interesting to me how now you're at the crossroads where you are having to act like a mother to your mom, but now you realize that those like patterns that you grew up with are now like you, you see yourself doing it, you know? Yeah, af yeah, after the argument, I was like, oh my God, I'm treating her how she treated me. And like, yeah. even though I feel really shitty, like, oh, I, I should be nicer to her. I'm like, I did learn this from her. Like when someone's vulnerable and fragile, like you don't mm -hmm. want to give them support. And I mean, obviously this is me and my relationship with my mom because there's lots of resentment there, but that's not how I am with my son. It's very different. Right. Like the second he is upset like i'm just like you know like i disappear like i don't care yeah. about me i care about him but it's like right. it's very interesting for me to see that and it makes me feel a little like maybe i'm being a little bit too like vindictive or something but it's mm. I, don't, I don't know i don't know how to fix that but you know whatever those things are yeah. messy it's still fresh and you know you're in process but it was funny because after i got mad at her she was almost like nicer to, she like didn't really she was like <laughs> she was like yeah that's that's like how people should treat each other <laughs> she was like she was like okay <laughs> like she's totally fine now <laughs> i feel like i drew a, a messy boundary but i did draw a boundary i think yeah. anyway should we get to Damn. our clips down i'm down to start with mine so listeners uh young Lee and i we each chose three of our favorite clips and let's just jump right into it. So for the first clip that I chose, Young Me, um, mm -hmm. I chose a clip from our episode with Michelle's Honor, uh, also oh, known as Japanese Breakfast. And, you know, shout out to her. She's She's had crushed 2021. She won 2021. <laughs> the biggest, I feel like the most like successful Asian of 2021 her her and Bowen York, Yang who we also had on the right. podcast that was amazing Woo. New York Times bestseller and and nominated for two Grammys yeah that's Just some next winning level on shit. all fronts you know I, I chose this episode because I feel that Michelle has a, a as it has a talent for describing very challenging emotions Mm. Um, and you know, with, with her book crying in H Mart and what she talked about on this particular episode, um, she's, she's very adept at recounting grief and, uh, you know, she opened up about the grief that came with losing her mother and more largely I felt that she challenges, you know, society's larger tendency to shy away from these harder feelings that mm. uh, we want to look away from. You know, you, you mm -hmm. brought up pregnancy and, you know, when you went through pregnancy, there were just, mm -hmm. you didn't know, like, it's one of those things where, yeah, you have to go through it to know what it's like, but why do we, like, shy away from, like, what, what comes with it? Like, you know, get to the nitty gritty of, like, what do these difficult experiences really feel like? And, right. um, and, and I also chose this clip because, you know, this came at a time when the, the Asian American community was collectively grieving. Um, mm -hmm. you know, this happened, uh, in the aftermath of the Atlanta shootings and mm. she said it so well when she said, so sometimes like, we just don't know how we feel mm -hmm. in the aftermath of these sorts of things or how we're supposed to feel. Mm. And the questioning that comes with that and mm -hmm. it, it's, it's challenging and it's okay to not know how to feel. Right. And because I think there's a lot of guilt that comes with these particular experiences. Like I imagine, you know, I've, I've never been pregnant, but you know, that's, it's mm. a thing that's come up in our own podcast where 
Why don't mm-hmm. I feel a certain way about this certain yeah. thing? And yeah, that's, I think uh, that, that that's a feeling that kind of was prescient in 2021. And yeah. I think Michelle did like a really, really, she's incredibly gifted and talented in um, capturing and expressing that emotion. Yeah. It's like one of these things that I really like to talk about all the time. Society has like this tendency to make something very positive or just negative. And like the truth of everything, whether it's death or birth, is that it's a mixture of both. And I think she really puts it into words well. I'm wondering, like, what are some misconceptions about grief that are portrayed in popular media that really annoy you or just about the feeling and experience of it all? I think a big reason why I felt like I wanted to write this book or like so much of the process of living as a caretaker for six months in Eugene, Mm -hmm. I had like so Mm -hmm. much anger and shock at like, Mm -hmm. and a lot of the book is honestly, it's very intense and it's very graphic at times. Uh, And it goes, Mm -hmm. it was important to me, I guess, to like present like, the horrific detail of what happens when someone dies or when someone's health deteriorates. And I think it was Mm. largely because I felt so angry that I, no one warned me that that's like what it could look like. Um, I, I felt Mm -hmm. very ill prepared, um, for the process of, of watching my mom's health deteriorate. I I felt really unprepared for when she died. Um, And I was just like, why doesn't Mm. anyone tell you about this? You know, I felt very angry. Mm. So I had this real sense of urgency in part to write this book to really show what it looks like because I wanted, you know, Mm -hmm. I I think part of it is just like, you know, I think every culture like has a difficult time talking about death and like the ugly parts of like the human body and what happens and all that. But for instance, like, Mm -hmm. like no one, I didn't, I didn't know about like rigor mortis. Like I didn't know Mm. that that was something that happened. And like, I needed to talk about it, you know, like, and I needed to like talk about all the the symptoms that happens. And also no one knows that like, you know, a lot of the times in media, it's like someone just like closes their eyes. They're like, I love you. And like, know that like, I'll always be with you. You know what I mean? That's like just yeah, 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 yeah. Happens, you know, it's a very slow, really painful process of, of, you know, like someone losing like function by function. And, uh, it oh. just felt, I just felt like I had to talk about it. That for me was like an, an overshare thing that I needed to go into to like, let go of, I think. You know, you know what I feel about that's like, I feel like similarly that no one actually really talks about in a realistic way. Birth. Mm. Which is interesting because it's like, you know, technically they're opposite ends of the like there's so many things like because even to this day, there's so many like now women that women are allowed to write and stuff. (laughs) There are lots of (laughs) we're allowed to go outside, Um, you know, like they there's so many writers and women that talk about it and stuff like that. But like in popular media, like what you were saying about the they're going to close they close their eyes and then they're Mm -hmm. dead or um, that's like how birth is portrayed in movies. You know, the woman's like screaming for five minutes and then there's a baby and it's, you know, like. Um, but it was the same sort of thing. Like I, there's, it's so weird how those sort of big events, humans don't really want to think about the mm-hmm. nitty gritty part. I want to know personally. <laughs> like, I've, uh, no, you don't. <laughs> no, no, the birth I mean, thing is interesting to too. Cause then you're, now, but like, yeah, yeah. I, do, I do like, <laughs> I want to know that kind of stuff, especially like as, uh, you know, I'm in my thirties. I want to have a kid eventually. I want to know like yeah. what happens, you know, I find myself like way more yeah. fascinated right. about that kind of stuff than ever. But before. then I found yeah. myself like you like, I, I was like, when I was going through it, I was like, why doesn't anyone talk about this? Yeah. Like I'm going crazy, yeah. you know, like yeah. this is, <laughs> then you feel really alone. Yeah. You feel alone in a process that every single person goes through yeah. it's but so bizarre yeah. right Everyone's i'm really glad like, that you wrote about that oh uh, thank you no the thing about the death thing is that it's not even like because obviously this is like an asian podcast it's not even like an asian thing really it's uh, every culture is kind of like yeah like let's not talk right. about that so you know that was a personal grief that you were experiencing. It informed your work. Um, and mm. I guess what I'm curious is in light of recent events, uh, it, it, it's palpable. It feels like a lot of Asian, Amer- Asian Americans in this country are going through like a collective grieving where like mm. the new cycle is very triggering and 
Um, we're all like processing and expressing ourselves uh, in our own ways. And uh, how is that for you? Where, you know, I feel like for many years, your your personal grief informed your artwork. And then now you're sort of thrust into this new space where there's like a collective grieving that's happening all around us. Yeah, I mean, it's hard because it's a very different type of grief, you know, and I had like a lot mm -hmm. of anxiety of like, how am I, you know, in the same way that grief can happen where you have this anxiety of like, am I feeling the right thing? Did I like love this person enough? Like, I remember when I went to mm. my mom's like funeral and being like, am I going to cry? Like, what the fuck if I don't cry at like my mom's funeral? Like, everyone's going to think I'm this like horrible daughter. And, and all this anxiety happens. Like, similarly, I think that there's this like real anxiety about like what you're supposed to feel right now. Uh, and there's this constant yeah. feeling of like, am I not a good enough Asian if I'm not feeling like this certain type of way or talking about this in a certain type of way? And it's a really new right. thing for a lot of us, I feel like. I mean, I, after the shooting, I did like eight interviews and it was like, thrust on me really like unexpectedly. Yeah. And I felt, I did like mm -hmm. this entertainment, like it was like, what is it called? <laughs> entertainment tonight or whatever in Canada. And this woman's just like, so tell me about like, you know, how are you feeling after like the shooting? Oh and, all that stuff. and I was just like, like, I can't <laughs> even, um, and you know, it's just frustrating because I feel like, you know, I, I as an artist, like you don't really um, anticipate like the kind of platform that you're going to have or like what your role is in all of this. And I really want to be like someone yeah. that's courageous and has like a great thing to say and like uses my platform and like yeah. directs people to action and all this stuff. But it was also like a lot, I, I also, you know, felt very distant from a lot of my peers. Like I, you know, I was seeing a lot mm -hmm. of my friends being like, stop, like this needs to stop, stop doing this to us. And it's like, who follows you that you know, who are you talking to? Like, does someone follow you that's like doing this? Like, why are you saying this? Or like some people would be like, you need to check in on your AAPI friends. And it's like, I don't want white people to like be texting me right now. It's like a lot of my like friends I never talked to or all of a sudden, like, how are you feeling? It's like, I don't, it's more labor yeah. for me to tell you how I'm feeling yeah. um, than yeah. it is for me to just like ignore you. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't, yeah. I don't know the right thing to say and it get really like frustrated with myself because I, I just haven't known mm. how to respond or like, I, I'm the type of person that's really like, I really like to rally around like one direct way that I think that we can accomplish mm -hmm. something. And I don't think that this yeah. is, there is anything in this situation beyond this real reckoning that I think a lot of Asian American people are happening of just like, we are so shy about talking about this or we feel like we don't deserve yeah. to take up any space or that it's not real enough or that they're just microaggressions and not real. Um, you know, even I felt that way, you know, like I, and, mm. and right. I do, I have heard a lot of stories. I luckily haven't had this in my life, but of, of, yeah. of, um, and maybe it's because my mom is, it was Korean and had a white husband. Uh, and we grew yeah. up in a really like hippy dippy, like on the surface, like very liberal environment, safe environment. Um, right. That it might've been different, but I do have a lot of friends who've told me that like their brother or their parents like have been like assaulted in this way. And there are a lot more um, hate crimes than people are aware of, but I think like, um, maybe like our parents' generation, a lot of them came here with the idea that like, uh, we're never going to fit in. And this is of course going to happen to us. They had like this kind of expectation of this. And a lot of the younger yeah. generation are like, no, I was born here or I was raised here. And like, they have more of this sense of like righteousness and entitlement in, in, a, in a positive way to be like, okay, yeah. no, mm -hmm. this is not something that we should have to live with. And we should talk about it. Yeah. yeah. Youngmi, what? So kick us off. What is your? What is the clip that you chose? Okay, so the first clip that I chose is from our Asian Seeking Asian Therapist episode. Um, it's when we had a bunch of therapists come on the show who are of Asian descent discussing not only um, issues that their Asian clients have, but how it felt to be Asian therapists. And the clip mm -hmm. that really touched me during that episode was from Sonali Rashatwar. Um, who is known on social media as the fat sex therapist. And they discuss 
Uh, their specialty is in diet trauma and sexual assault trauma. Diet trauma is something that I had never heard of until I met them. And mm. they discuss the correlation between diet trauma and sexual assault trauma, essentially coming from the idea that is uh, present in a lot of societies, but uh, unfortunately very present in Asian um, cultures that your body does not really belong to you and you don't have mm. bodily autonomy and it belongs to the larger um, culture. So that's mm. the that blew my mind when I heard them say that. So this is the that's the clip that I chose. I see folks, I know that your question was really about perfectionism and like how I see it show up. Mm-hmm. Um, how, I, how I see it clinically. And I think for the clients who I work with who are South Asian, a lot of times it's rooted in casteism. The perfectionism right. that we inherit comes from this place of thinking that our body isn't for us to enjoy, but it is uh, something that need needs to be controlled or restricted or maintained. And it's something that need, it needs to be like a project that someone mm. else is proud of. Right. Mm. And achievement is very important, right? I'm not like a person. I don't get to have feelings, but I have to excel and I have to assimilate and I have to succeed within capitalism and white supremacy in order to receive conditional praise. Mm. That like really hit me so hard. That's so on point. I mean, because, you know, I know that you specialize in diet trauma and I'm, I'm fascinated by that because I feel like, you know, a lot of my humor is about that too. Like how, um, I've had so much trauma. I've experienced that. And I, I see it as a cultural thing, um, as a Korean thing, but what you said that my body is meant for other people to accept that is, I feel like such a you know, not to generalize, but that is such an Asian thing. Mm. Yeah. Mm. It's one of the wow. earliest ways that we as non-men especially, but people of all genders experience. But it's the way that diet culture and rape culture kind of overlap and look identical. Mm. Mm. And wow. each of these structures teach us that our body is not our own. Wow. That it's for someone else to objectify, someone else to control or dictate what it should look like, what it should eat like, what it should dress like how it should perform in school. And if you think about it, you know, like if social control and all the tasks that we have to manage in order to look like we're doing a good job, takes up this much brain space, you know, other things can't exist there too, like abolition or thinking about how to have land back or reparations. We're not really thinking about how to tear down the structures if we're too busy assimilating into them. Um, For my second clip, uh, I similar to you. Um, I I chose a clip from uh, one of our wonderful therapists, but this was um, from the episode that we did with uh, the therapist uh, Peter Adams and Melissa Yao. Um, it's titled "An Evening with Two Asian Therapists." Listeners, as you all know, and young me, like we champion therapy a lot on this podcast, mm-hmm. and uh, we we can all see that therapy and the discussion surrounding mental health has become um, increasingly more destigmatized in mm-hmm. like recent years. There's just, just so many more resources than there were five years ago, I would say. Yeah. Um, you know, it's we see commercials all the time for teletherapy and there's so many mental health startups. Um, however, I feel that with that, therapy has sort of become this catch-all solution to mm. fix all of our problems, you know? It's like if you're going through a difficult time, like obviously like you should seek help and go see a therapist. But I also think it's important to note that with therapy, there comes a lot of homework. Mm. Like you, you can't just go, but you also have to take the time to practice what, like whatever it is that your therapist is working with you, you know? Yeah. Like that, Cause that's how things really stick. And mm-hmm. um, I felt in this episode, like Peter and Melissa, like impart, imparted a lot of those moments that where you feel your brain, it's like a aha moment, your brain mm-hmm. rewires itself. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. they also provided so many great action items to mm-hmm. reinforce those aha moments and mm-hmm. put those moments into practice. And I chose one um, regarding setting boundaries with your parents because nice. 
that's something that I struggle with. And it's something that comes up a lot uh, in our DMs and emails from our listeners. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, th- I thought this was like a very noteworthy moment to highlight because they, they, they give us like action items to do. To right. like sit and like, this is what quote unquote doing the work is. The question is all in caps at the end. And then it says without cutting them off, which kind of illustrates my point from earlier about why I think this is one of the most underrated skills for Asian American children to develop is boundaries. This this is the subtext of that without cutting them off. It means people always tell me to just cut them off or you guys don't tell me to just cut them off. That's why I'm putting this in caps, right? I'm looking (laughs) for a different alternative. And, but one of the things I actually I like to do with clients who are coming in uh, with that mentality is I, I do like to try to get them to kind of go back on that a little bit. And um, not to say that they would never cut them off, essentially, mm-hmm. but to mm-hmm. understand instead what their limits are. So when we operate from this place of, this is never an option. I will never cut mm-hmm. them off. This can never happen. I could never do it, et cetera, and so on. There's a restricting sort of mm-hmm. nature to that. I think it's a useful exercise, even if there's some difficulty in sitting with the idea initially that we all have limits. And what mm-hmm. what are yours? They may be greatly different from one of your friends or your, your, your white buddy and you guys talk about this stuff, but they're, but they yeah. are there. So an example, maybe, you know, someone may, may really try to sit with that and they may say, well, if my father ever laid hands on my, my daughter, right. You know, if the, yeah. if I saw some of this, some of the things we experienced, uh, my siblings and I, if I saw that or became aware of that, then, then yes, you know, like, yeah. And right. and, and um, again, it, they may seem unrelated, but I don't know. Just from a just from clinical experience, I feel like moving from there is a line and it is an option, and mm-hmm. I can articulate what that is. I think creates a, a sort of a little more of a freedom. Um, yeah. you're, you're operating less from a place of this is the only option and this can never happen. And the, the restriction of that to, I know where my line is and I can work within that. Whoa. That's so um, great. Damn. Damn. I know. Meanwhile, <laughs> but, I'm just over <laughs> spouting off it. Do be like that. It is what it is. That was, that was very different advice than it do, do be, be like, like that. that. That's for sure. <laughs> And me talking about a dream that I had. That was very just, that's such that's such good advice. And I I wanna say I just wanna say I really liked how you said you, the, I feel like that was really important when you said like there you do have a limit. You might not yeah. know where it is, but yeah. you do have a limit and maybe just thinking it, about that what just that is like broke my brain because <laughs> it is more liberating once you yeah. test that limit and now you yeah. know you have an actual stronger sense of what is that boundary that you're playing with and that'll i I can just feel like once i know what that is it just illuminates how i'm going to react to so many other things going forward yeah it it just frees you of some of that there's a a, it's subtle there's a subtle liberation so for my second clip i chose um one of my favorite episodes obviously that's why i chose it um (laughs) from These are one of my, this was one of my favorite discussions. Honestly, I really love all our guests. And to be honest, it was like really hard to choose my favorites. I feel like, I don't know if this is how you feel, Brian, but every time somebody comes on the podcast, I'm like, damn, we like really, we really got some information out of you. Right? Yeah, I love it. It's great. And I feel like it's because we get real chaosy and chaotic, like right in the front. And we're like, (laughs) I hate my mom. And then they're like, well, you know, me too. (laughs) Um, Well, that's it's the power cringe in us. I think <laughs> Can't they get any more cringe like, than these two. <laughs> they want to out chaos us. They're like, well, you know what? 
Um, but my my uh, my second clip was from the episode "You'll Be Very Happy But Very Poor," featuring Alexander Chi, the uh, much celebrated writer. Um, you know, every time I mention him, people are like, "I love him!" Like they're so obsessed. Brilliant. Um, brilliant writer i enjoy all of his books so much but he's also biracial he's half korean and half white uh like i am and he also lived a portion of his childhood in korea so we got to talk about how biracial people are viewed in korea which is very very different than how they're viewed in the west because like we say in the episode like in the west they view anybody that's like even partially white to like in a better light than other people because of white supremacy. So we discussed mm-hmm. about, we discussed how biracial people are viewed in Korea. And I really, really like this discussion. There's an expression, right? Um, in Korean, something about like being like a, a, a demon. I identify as that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know what? Yes. I will, I will look it up later. And, uh, and we, but, um, you know, I think the, the what I wasn't aware of was so what I was aware of, for example, was like when I was presented to my father's family uh, mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. the age of nine months when we moved back to Korea from the U.S. You know, my parents my parents did a kind of reverse migration where where they they moved in with my grandparents in Seoul and uh, <clears throat> my father took a job with his his father in his fisheries company. We lived there for just about three years. Um, my my dad's siblings were still in the house, and uh, and they had feelings about it that I wasn't always aware about, aware of. My, I had a mm. aunt who was furious, mm. uh, for example, about my identity, about my existence. When my grandmother mm. had, you know, seen my father off to. Korea, she had said to him, you know, whatever you do, don't marry a blonde-haired, blue-eyed American girl, which is exactly what he did. So he did that. I don't know if that, like, guaranteed <laughs> it, but, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and my eyes at the age of nine months when I arrived at the house were, were not brown or mm. hazel as they are now. Mm. They were a kind of blue that mm. infant's eyes often are. So, mm-hmm. uh, so when I arrived I was also like the first male of the 41st gener- like the oldest male with the last name of the 41st generation of chi and here mm. I was with as an infant with blue eyes so they were kind of like <gasps> you know, <it> was really- <laughs> demon <laughs> okay young me so for the last uh clip that I wanted to highlight for this episode uh comes from Bohan Phoenix and oh, yes. it's in the episode titled Too Foreign for Here, Too Foreign for Home. And, um, you know, listeners, Bohan Phoenix is a an incredibly talented musician and artist who, you know, I feel he really wholeheartedly embraces the pursuit of authenticity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, his, his practice as a, a musician slash artist really, uh, really resonated with me and my own work as a comedian. But um, for the listeners out there who aren't in a creative field or who work, you know, like a stable job, maybe perhaps in tech or law or public policy, et cetera, et cetera, or business, I just feel like we can learn a lot from Bohan on how to challenge our own views and work to ensure that they both align with how we want to step forward in the world because yeah he talked about the process of realizing how he was exoticizing himself Mm. and to not be afraid to start from scratch but that only comes with constant questioning and really sitting with your work and who you are as a person and how you project yourself in the world and does that feel right to you does it ever feel like it's challenging to like, convey that, like your story in music so that maybe like American a- audiences fuck with it and then maybe people in China proper fuck with it too? Because I, guess it, I mm. guess it can, I imagine it must be challenging because your experience is yeah. so unique, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so 
Um, definitely uh, started off rapping, you know, in English. Everything starts with imitation, and I was just trying to impress people with how well I can put together rhymes. Because okay. I thought that was mm-hmm. how, how you get famous. You know, you got to impress people with how you rap. And you know, I was I did that for a long time. Graduated mm-hmm. NYU. I was still kind of doing that, hitting all the open mics. I was even like. Uh, standing outside Apollo Theater for like five hours to get in for the amateur night. I did that like six times. Damn. Um, and, um, and yeah, like, you know, people would be like, oh, that's cool. Like, that's cool. But nothing really stuck until I started to kind of write my own story into the songs. And mm-hmm. then people that, uh, you know, people would mm-hmm. just hit me up, be like, yo, I feel this. I relate to this. Um, mm-hmm. And it got kind of addicting to have people to kind of like understand you in this way, you know, like. Um, and so when I started writing more English and Chinese, I was like, oh, like I found my sound, you know, like mm. I, I rap in two languages now. And, mm. you know, simultaneously, whereas like honestly, when in the past, when I was rapping only in English and blogs never gave a fuck. Now, like, I'm getting a write-up on Fader. Now I'm getting a write-up right. on so-and-so. And it was like, it was like everything was telling me, oh, you're doing the right thing. Keep going. I was like, I got my sound. I did a front page with Bandcamp. We even titled it, like, Oriental Trap or something, you know? Because I, yeah, like, yeah. I was like, I was like, I'm getting attention. Damn. Yeah. It wasn't until I, and then I moved to China for a couple of years because music was popping over there. It wasn't until then I realized, oh, what I was doing was exoticizing myself mm. for, for, for trying to get attention. And I stepped away from the music and like I stopped storytelling because halfway through the song, now I got to switch it up to Chinese just to be exotic, just to, just to be a bilingual rapper. Mm. And, um, and then when I went to China, I realized, okay, like people like me here for the novelty of the perspectives that I have. But my Chinese is not good enough to hang with the local rappers. Mm. And as much of a, a like a novelty as it is that I switch between English and Chinese, they want to hear their story, you know? Mm. And so it was very interesting for me to realize that and then like kind of like dial it back and be like, okay, do I am I am I am I doing this now because I have a following and I'm and I'm like worried about which one I need to please or do I need to go back to when I first started making music and just make music. Mm. So to answer your question in a long-winded way, at first it was very conflicting. How do I tailor my songs? Like I have a four-song EP. How do I make sure that's enough to show both sides that I'm a good rapper, but I'm also like deep, but I'm also, you know, and I realized, man, I can't. So and now I don't even think about who's going to listen to it or who's going to be happy. And I'm just like, if I'm happy to show this to my friends, I'm happy with it, you know? Right. Um, but interestingly, through that journey of figuring out what kind of music I want to make, and um, I actually, you know, ended up making certain stuff like the overseas and three days in Chindu and Jalas that because I thought those moments I should have been talking about my identity and that's like my, that's that's who I am in this role. Like my contribution to hip hop is to, tell the story of the overseas kids that people don't really Mm -hmm. talk about and the idea of being too foreign for here being too foreign for home the fact that when Mm -hmm. I'm in China the minute I open my mouth they know I've come from America but over here no matter how well I speak English they don't look at me as American right so I just stopped thinking about all that um, because it was affecting my mood and the music I wanted to make. I got really serious all the time. And I was like, I'm not that serious all the time. I'm light and real person. So now I'm just <laughs> trying to make music. And uh, and yeah. All right. So for my last clip, um, this is a little bit of an emotional one. Um, it's from the episode Outside My Comfort Zone featuring Sujin Pak from uh, MTV News. You know, if you are my age or Brian's age, you remember she was probably one of the first people that you an really OG. saw an OG yeah. Asian representation on MTV News back, you know, in the day when MTV was life, right? And I remember <laughs> seeing her and being like, wow, like Asian people really, really are here. Like, you know. Um, But in this episode, she joined us because 
during the pandemic, she came out and openly talked about this incident that had happened back in the days when she was on MTV News when we were watching her. And she had never publicly discussed it before. Um, And it involves a very racist uh, incident from a white man who was, you know, in a position of power above her at work. And she discusses calling him out there and then and what that felt like emotionally. And I feel like that was a very important discussion because a lot of people think that people that are whistleblowers and people that bring things like this to light are brave and you know we're feeling like oh this is justice and we have to do this but um a lot of times that's not what it feels like at all the thing that was a most important thing for me to say was i did not feel brave or courageous mm-hmm. or strong mm-hmm. i was vomiting and shaking i was in bed like like you know, like that kind of anxiety, I deal with more anxiety than depression. Mm -hmm. And I get like a crushing anxiety where like, I can't even get out of bed. So that was the, that was who I was. I wasn't the like high powered woman, you know what I mean? Like, you know, in a pantsuit telling people off, like I crawled into a hole Mm -hmm. and just cried for months hoping it would be okay, but really feeling like I was going to get fired. Like I, I I really did not think that I was ever going to be able to return. And I say that because I think that we have this impression, if you're in this situation now that you should be acting some way Mm -hmm. that some force of nature should give you the iron will and the strength to say something to that person who every day is, is, is pushing you down. And I'm telling you, you don't have to take that on. Mm. Like just feeling angry and feeling justified in your anger Mm -hmm. is enough. Mm. Like, do you know what I mean? Like I really wanted that to be clear. Like I wasn't, Yeah. I, I, I have a hard time when people only, only, um, show courage in the most heroic way. Right. 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 Because that's it's just not how, that way. Right. That's just how it's portrayed and that's a show really good, yeah. in popular media. And that's it's what like, yeah. take no prisoners. And we see I'm a those, badass. Like I'm and that's amazing. up against the system. Yeah. yeah. That's right. That's, that's amazing. And I and I applaud that. Mm-hmm. Right. But I also want to applaud all those and, and I'm so glad you shared that story, young me, of like the quivering, vomiting folks that can't say anything yeah. or finally one day get to say that little thing, like that's also heroic mm-hmm. and courageous, you know? I don't, it's making me really emotional. I don't know why. Yeah. The, like just to like think, I think, you know, what I want to, cause your post, you had so many like positive, you know, so much positive feedback, but I think yeah. something about you and like, I, this is like, Obviously, I, I don't know you personally, but like your vibe yeah. is like you just are such a sweet person. Like yeah. that's the, and I think a lot of people read that from you and it just makes me like just hearing what you're saying. It just makes me so sad. What a treat it was to do this podcast this past year. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you saying it like that? <laughs> oh, because I thought you were going to I thought this is the end. You're going to become a floral arranger in the Hamptons. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is it's it. It's done. I'm going to work for rich people and charge them a lot and just be like, yeah, this is it's called a bouquet of 12 roses. It's $15,000. <laughs> That's my new my new career. Yeah. No, no, I, I sorry. I, I didn't mean to make it sound weird, but um, yeah. like you said, it was really hard for me to choose what my favorite clips were because the initial list yeah. that I came up with was there were so many names that I put it like put on it and yeah. to whittle it down was really challenging. And yeah, you did send a very long list. <laughs> I, you know, I also made a list of all the discussions that we had because we had some great discussions this year that we, you know, we yeah. don't have time to discuss, but maybe we should do a part two of just all the discussions that we had. <laughs> We had so Absolutely. many fights. I have to say, just to like, so um, like boil fights. it down, this is what I this is what I think was great about our discussions this year. We had so many fights, and some of them were like very serious. But then at the end of it, like no matter what, we were able to talk them through and not get them. Like sometimes we, 
like both of us did get emotional, but then we were able to like reconnect and be like, okay, I'm sorry, I was emotional and be very, um, I, I hate this word, but like reasonable. Mm-hmm. And I'm really proud of us for doing that. You know, I feel that since the inception of this, I just find I've I've just found that I've grown a lot too in just the way that I can like manage a per, like a relationship, working relationship like this, and not harbor resentment. And and I think we're both like really good at that. And that's like that's what helps us maintain this working relationship and this podcast. But um, you know, I, I I think it's such a wonderful thing that it was really challenging for us to pick favorites favorite clips yeah. because like you said they're all my favorites yeah it's a tremendous privilege to be to have this space and to have for anyone to even agree to do this podcast and deal with our cringe and our chaos and uh-huh. um our, our line of questioning but um you know it makes me really excited and hopeful and optimistic uh going into 2022 because i hope that we can um bring you more of the same and if not challenge ourselves more grow as people and you know uh, i'm excited for what's to come i'm proud of us brian i'm proud this is the healthiest working relationship i've ever had with anybody in my life i'm proud (laughs) of our podcast i'm proud to be recognized in cnn called the fake news by donald trump himself yes and (laughs) (laughs) and i'm proud of what we put out and i'm really proud that our listeners uh enjoy our podcast thank you all so much you mean the world to us even the ones that don't donate to our patreon you (laughs) mean even more because it's like you know you're here for us yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) so thank you and yeah um thank you again everyone and thanks for a great 2021 and we hope you have a an amazing new year. See you next year. Follow us on Feeling Asian Podcast. Follow Brian at It's Brian Park. Follow me at YM Mayor. Thank you. Bye. Bye.